You are listening to a message from Treeline Church, a life-giving church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you are in the Pittsburgh region, we would love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out treeline.church for times and location. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Hey friends and welcome. So excited you could join us today. We are continuing a series. Matter of fact, we're in part three of a series called Under God with a question mark. Asking the question, are we under God? We've been going through the Pledge of Allegiance and it's an election year and we're living in a really polarized and divided nation. There's so much going on, so much argument in the midst of a global pandemic and civil unrest and there's just a lot going on. And so what we're doing is we're taking a look at the pledge because that's nothing more American than that, right? And we're talking about some biblical truths that we're pulling from some of the key phrases from the Pledge of Allegiance. And this week we're talking about the word indivisible. We started out talking about one nation, how we are one nation, not from the United States, but as Christ followers, we are sent from a heavenly nation, that we are Christ's ambassadors, that we are sent here to represent God to the earth, to the world, to others, that we're not living for our own, but that we're representing Him. And then last week, we asked the question, are we truly under God? Are we under culture? What is it that really influences us? What influences our our thoughts, our, our behaviors, and our actions? What is it that really that we're following after? Are we following culture or are we pursuing the things of God? And this week may be the most important week of all. We won't know yet because you got to catch next week's as we wrap it up. But we're talking about the idea of indivisible. And what a great thing to put in the pledge. And we should be a nation that cannot be divided. We're indivisible. And this is something that I think is really important for us as Christ followers. As Americans, yes, but the Bible has a whole lot to say to us about unity. You may have realized this if you've followed or studied the life of Jesus at all, or if you've read any stories about him, but Jesus was a man of prayer. He was someone who prayed all of the time, which would probably be a pretty good indicator for us, and for me, is really challenging. We should be following after Jesus and, and pursuing him, and one of the things he did was pray often. He talked to his heavenly Father. And now, we're not really privy to all the prayers that he prayed. We, we don't know what those were. They weren't all recorded, because he prayed all the time, and sometimes the scripture would just say, and Jesus withdrew, and he took some time and prayed. But there are a few occasions where we actually get to see some of the prayers that Jesus himself said. And now for me, that should be like one of those big aha moments, like the, the bold caption highlight. These are, these are pretty important prayers. If this is something that Jesus prayed, it should be something that probably carries a lot of weight. So we see here in John 17, starting in verse 20, he says this, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one so that they may be brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Wow, what a powerful prayer. These words that Jesus himself prayed, that he asked, he said, God, would you just please, the people who you've sent me to, the people who believe in me, the people who've surrendered their life and following after this mission that you have given me, this is my prayer for them. My prayer is that they would be one that they would have complete unity. It's a really powerful prayer that Jesus prays. That that's his desire for us. You ever wonder what it is that Jesus prayed for us, the things that he desires and wants for us as his followers? We can read it right here. That he desired that we would have complete unity, that we would be as one. Now, the sad thing is, is that today, maybe more so than ever, is that Christians are incredibly divided. 
We're not quite living up to that prayer that Jesus had for us. And politics aside, whether you're red or blue or some other color in between, whatever it is, your political leanings, it's not even being divided by those sorts of things. It's also being divided within the things within the Christian faith. And honestly, some of it's pretty silly. And if you're not a Christ follower, if you haven't been following Jesus long, some of this might not make sense to you. And it might be like, well, what's the big deal with all of that? But we as Christ followers have found ways to be divided and sometimes in new and creative ways. Sometimes it's like being divided over, is it modern or is it contemporary? Um, you know, is it traditional or contemporary? What, what are we going to do with our worship style? You know, are we going to really be liturgical and are we going to really, you know, just do the traditional things that we worship and how our forefathers, how they praise God? Or are we going to do a new thing and be modern? We get divided over what that's supposed to look like. And one of the big things with that is how we worship. Is it going to be hymns? Or are you going to be classic music where we open up the book and you get your hymnal and you sing the song and we sing the same thing every single single time? Or is it going to be modern worship where it's like a rock band on stage and now we have drums and we don't have an organ and a choir anymore and we're divided how we're supposed to worship with music. We even get, we even get divided on how we should baptize people. Should it be in a pool of water? Should it be inside in a baptismal? Or should it be outside? Or should we sprinkle them? Do they have to be divide, dipped completely under the water? And for us as a church plant, we baptize people in a feeding trough from, <laughs> from the store. I mean, that's kind of funny, right? People got a problem with how you baptize. And when here comes the church plant. Uh, if you've been to our baptism service, you know, it's pretty fun. Yeah, it's just a galvanized big tub, uh, you know, where the animals come out to eat or drink. But we dunk you down in that thing. And, and we are divided over it as a church. Do we wear hats or we don't wear hats in church? Can we have tattoos or we not have tattoos? Is it more music or less music? And, and not even that, it's sometimes we just accuse each other of being, it's too long, it's, it's too shallow, or it's too deep, it's too funny, it's too dry. There's no stained glass in here. How can we worship and why should we spend all that money on stained glass? It's not missional or they're way too mission-minded. We just find things and it seems like we create new ways constantly to be divided as Christ followers. But here's what we got to get today, is that the church down the street is not our enemy. That God has not set us and pit us against each other like some kind of street fight, ready, set, go. No, that's not God's desire for us whatsoever. That it's not about a denomination or a particular style of worship. It's not about hating people who worship the same God, the same Jesus in a different way. What we've got to understand is that they are not our enemy. Other Christ followers are not our enemy. The Bible tells us that we do have an enemy. We talked about a little bit of last week about the enemy, the devil, and the strategy that he has. He also wants to divide us. He wants to divide us as Christ followers. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that our battle is not against flesh and blood, the things here in the natural, but that there's a spiritual battle that we can't even see going on right now. And that is the true enemy, Satan, that wants to take us out. He wants to steal our unity. He wants to kill our churches. He doesn't want them to survive. He wants to destroy our credibility as the local church and doesn't want us to reach any more people for Jesus. It's not each other. Because when we're divided, we're weak and we're incredibly ineffective. But when we have unity and we're united, we are unstoppable as the body of Christ. And see, friends, here's the first thing that we've got to get today is that we must unite. 
Not we should unite. Not it'd be kind of nice if we united. And that'd be a great option if we united. No, friends, we must unite. As Christ followers, people who have said yes to relationship with Jesus. For those who have surrendered their life to God and say, I'm all in. I'm following after you, Jesus. My life is no longer mine. I am now surrendered and following after you. Our responsibility now is to be unified together. We must unite. And as we unpack that idea, there's three things that I want to share with you on this idea of being united. The first one is this. We desperately need each other. We desperately need each other. Now, some of you, that might be really challenging because you're like the lone ranger, the lone wolf. It's all me. I've got this. If you want something done, you do it yourself type mentality. And it's not really great on needing other people, wanting other people, or people to be involved or even be around. Now, some of you, you're the other end of the spectrum and you're like that stray cat that no one can get rid of. And you're always there, always waiting to be pet, always waiting to be fed, always ready to be a part of the party. And somewhere in the middle, we've got to understand no matter how you are personally wired, that we need one another. We cannot significantly impact the world alone, that we need each other. Romans 12, 5 says, Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. Talking about us as the church. We are many parts of one body, and we belong to each other. Don't you love this? And I love this illustration and it's just the genius of this is that it's not all about being the same part that we all need. If you think of the human body, you need a mouth, you need the feet, you need the brain, you need the organs inside, the muscles that move your limbs and the bones that give you structure. You need every part. And without all the different parts, we wouldn't be a complete body. And so our body is important. Everyone's part is important. The same thing is true in the body of Christ. We all can't be a mouth. We've got plenty of those, and most of them are pretty loud. We can't all be the brain. We can't all be the hand. We need every single part. There's value for every part. And here's the point that I want to make with this, is that unity is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. It's not all looking and being the exact same way, thinking the same way, doing the same thing, being the same part. Friends, we have strength in our diversity. That as Christ followers, as the body of Christ, that there is strength in our diversity. Diversity is not something to run away from. Diversity is not something to look down upon. Diversity is not something that we just begrudgingly embrace because everyone tells us that we have to and it's the right thing to do. No, friends. There is beauty in the diversity in the body of Christ. See, for me, I don't know for you what your experience was growing up and maybe the expression of church you go of tree line or maybe another church and I I don't know for you what your expression was growing up and if you went to church when you were young or maybe you're just new to the faith but for me the church I grew up in was very charismatic it was very lively matter of fact it was pretty common for a flag to be getting waved around now some of you are like a flag getting waved around during church yep during worship and we'd crank up that music and we would sing a long time and a lot of music with loud drums and all the instruments and bass guitar and electric guitar and it was thumping in there and it was just a really crazy experience. Sometimes people were dancing. People were very expressive and sharing their faith. It was a boisterous and matter of fact, a, a pretty exciting experience. Even for me as a young man, it was pretty amazing. But that was the experience that I grew up with. And so that was, I thought, was the right thing. This must be the way that you worship God. And the older I got in my teen years and college years and got to experience other church styles and going to more liturgical church settings and, and just seeing, wow, wow, 
wow, this is so different. And the first time I got to go to a, a Catholic mass and just my mind was blown because I just was not familiar with anything. It seemed like everyone else knew what to do and I didn't know when to stand or when to sit, when to say the thing, when to kneel. I had no idea what was going on and what are all these things and these artifacts. It was just so unique and different to me. But then I found out something. The, the longer and the more experience and the more that I was exposed to all these different parts of the faith, the more I found that it wasn't just about the right way that I grew up in my experience with my faith and my church, but there were so many people and friends of mine and colleagues of mine in ministry who had vastly different styles and experience in their faith growing up, but were nonetheless passionate about their relationship with God, who had deep, rich encounters and experiences with Jesus. And even though our experience could not have looked any different at church on Sunday morning in the style that we worship, what I found out is that there's beauty in that diversity and we can all worship God in different ways. But even with that diversity, even with all those different styles of worship, and, and there's no right or wrong here, what we've got to understand is that before any of our preferences, before any of our denominations, it's not that we are Baptists first, or Methodists first, or non-denominational, or Charismatics, or fill-in-the-blank Lutherans, Catholics. It's not that we're first in any of those single things. And the same thing is true with politics. We're not Republican Christians first. We're not Democratic Christians first. We're not Libertarian Christians first. We're not Green Party Christians first or any other fringe groups that I don't remember and can't name. Whig Party. Maybe you're out there too. We're not Whig Party Christians first. See, we are first Jesus followers. We're not first whatever label, whatever flavor, whatever denomination, whatever political affiliation you are part of. That's not the first label that goes on us as Jesus followers. We are first and foremost followers of Jesus. There's nothing wrong with an affiliation with a denomination or a particular style. There's nothing wrong with a political affiliation or belief. None of those things are wrong. What is wrong is putting those before our identity and relationship with Jesus, that we are first and foremost followers of Jesus. See, our style of doing church, here's a newsflash, it's not God's favorite style of church, style of worship. As a matter of fact, if you hate the way that we do worship at Treeline or you see a church down the street and you're like, well, that can't be right, your favorite style is not God's favorite either. See, it's not about what is right. There are all different styles of worship. It's not like one day God was like, you know, I really like to be worshiped with hymns and then he changed his mind and thought those were old fashioned. He's like, now I just really prefer this modern music with a full band. <laughs> God, God is looking at the conditions of our hearts. He doesn't care if it's a hymn. He doesn't care if it's modern worship with a band. He doesn't care if it's bluegrass or dubstep. He is simply looking at the condition of our hearts, that he wants relationship with us, that we're living in surrender to him. And that act of worship is our heart, the position and how we feel and the adoration and the praise and the glory that we give him. It's not about the style. It's about our heart. And see, when Jesus gave us the Great Commission, when he told us to go into the world, do you know that? Jesus is like the parent here. You know how you're telling your kids, I need you to go and clean up. Maybe it's just me. You need to go clean up your room. You need to clean up the mess. You need to clean this up. You need to do this. You need to get ready for school. Whatever it is that, that Jesus gave us a commandment. He told us that we were supposed to go into all of the world, the Great Commission, and that we were to share the gospel, share the good news of who he was and who he is and what he is doing in the world, and how he loves people, and that he came to give them life. Life, and he wants a relationship with them more than anything. And while he told us where to go, he told us to go into the world. And while he told us what to do to share the gospel, the good news, he didn't tell us how to do that. 
See, there's one message, the message of Jesus, but there are many methods to share that message. And the good news is that it takes all these different flavors. It takes Baskin and Robin and all 31 to, to, to share the different, because some people don't like vanilla. Some people like chocolate. Some people like strawberry. Some people don't like cookies and cream. And I don't know what's wrong with them. We'll pray for them because that's God's chosen flavor. Come on, someone. It takes all different types of flavors to reach people. We can't reach everyone by ourselves. We need others. And the truth is they also need us. There's beauty in the diversity in the body of Christ. Second one is this. We err on the side of being for and not against. If we're going to err, we're going to err on the side of what we are for and not what we, what we are against. Matter of fact, when I was studying church planting and we were working with all the networks that were helping us and teaching us and educating us on what to do, how to start a church, one thing, a point that they drove home was, you've got to start a church. When you do this, you cannot just tell people all of the things that you're against. It's not a great idea to start a church on a platform being like, hey, we're not like those other boring churches down the street and, and we're going to be full of life and we're going to reach people for the message with the message of God, and it's not going to be dry and boring, and we believe this, and they don't believe that. That's a terrible way to start a church. That we've got to err on the side of what we are for, not what we are against. And the same thing is true when it comes to other Christ followers. That if I'm going to err on a side, I'm going to err on the side of believing the best and other people who are following Jesus and not assuming the worst. If we have other brothers and sisters in Christ, other people who have said yes to relationship with Jesus, we have got to err on the side of believing the best in them and not assuming the worst. See, friends, it's so important that when we understand this idea of unity, that it's not just about what we are against. It's about what we are for that we stand for the body of Christ, that we come together and we bring this message of unity, of hope, of love, of restoration, of healing, of changed lives, that this is the God that we serve, this is who Jesus is to us, and this is what we should be telling people about, this is what we should be known for. See, matter of fact, we're supposed to be known for our love. I love what D.L. Moody said. He said it this way, You might find hundreds of fault finders among professed Christians, but all their criticism will not lead to one solitary soul to Christ. See, all the people who can find all the fault in the world, even as Christ followers saying all the things that we're doing wrong in the church, doing wrong in the ministry, they're going wrong in the world, all of those people, all of the things, all of the issues they have will not lead one person to Jesus. See, that's the important thing. What we've got to understand is that we've got to err on the side of what we're for. Friends, do, does the world know what we are for? Or do they simply have a list of things that what we stand against? The third and final point is this. We love like Jesus loved. We love like Jesus loved. Oh, man. Well, that seems like the most simple point. But without a doubt, that is the most difficult part of this message. See, Jesus said some pretty bold things like, love your enemies. Like, turn the other cheek. As if someone slaps you, you turn the other side and say, take a, another hit. He said really crazy things like, bless those who curse you. Wow, this is how Jesus loved. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus loved us to death 
on a cross. That's the kind of love that he had for us. And so if we're going to love like Jesus, that means a selfless love that'll probably cost us something. It won't be a cheap, easy love. It won't be the warm fuzzies and Valentine card moment and chocolate and flower filled butterfly moments. No, there will be some selfless acts of love that are required of us if we're truly going to love like Jesus loved. Take a look in John 13, 34, 35. It says, a new command, a new command I give to you, love one another as I has loved you. So you must love one another. And I love this verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Oh, that's so powerful. This command that we're given to to love one another. That they won't know that you are my followers by the perfect theology that you have. They won't know that you are my followers by the, the style of worship that you choose to do. They won't know by your political post or your Facebook rants or your Twitter flame wars that you put out there. No, friends. They will know that we are his followers by the love that we have for one another. I remember years ago, I had the opportunity to preach a message from this text, and I got to go to a college campus and and speak this at one of their chapels, and I was really nervous. I didn't know anybody. It was a really big room full of a lot of college students and other people. I didn't know a single soul, and they introduced me, and I go up on the stage after the worship team's done. I'm like sweating bullets, trying to look like I've got it together. I am nervous, and I'm like, you know, I'm just going to pray about it. I'm just going to go baseline on this message and just share this, this simple text that people will know that we're God's followers. They will know that we are followers of Jesus if we just buy our love, right? Nice, simple, easy message and talked about this is really important. And, you know, just so excited and gave the message, made it through it. Got in my car. It was a couple hour drive. I got home. And when I got back to the office, I opened up my computer and there was an email waiting from me from someone who heard the message, a professor at the college who was very upset with me and very irate and said a whole lot of harsh things. And here I am just like, you know, like scratching my head being like, All I said is that we're supposed to love each other like Christ, and that's how people will know that we are his followers. And this guy did not like it whatsoever, and I just felt so devastated. I felt like I I had blown it just sharing God's love and sharing a message and trying to encourage students who are following after Jesus that people will know that we are his followers by his love. But friends, there is so much division even in the body of Christ, even to the point of sharing a simple message of the truth that everyone will know we are his followers by the way that we love one another. Because Jesus didn't always say that we need to be right, but he did say that we always need to love. We might not always win the argument. We might not always win the debate, but he did say that we've always got to love. We always can love and we can be one. We can choose unity. We can choose to be united. This is what will truly grab the attention of those who don't follow Jesus. It's not going to be that we've won the argument. It's not that we won the political debate or we made our point or whatever it is we think that is important to us at the time. See, friends, people will know that we're following after him by the love that we have for each other. Acts 4, starting in verse 32, says it this way. Talking about the early church. The early church who found Jesus. They come and they start. Can you imagine being back in that time? They hear the message of Jesus for the first time. This is a new thing in the world. And 
just totally and radically different from what they knew, whether they had followed the God of the Old Testament or maybe they hadn't at all and this was just all new to them whatsoever. And they come together and they form this beautiful early church. I encourage you to take a look at the book of Acts. And it says this in verse 32 of chapter 4, All the believers, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And then in verse 33, it continues, it said, And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, that, in them all that there were no needy persons among them. What a beautiful image that we get of the early Christ followers, the early Jesus movement, and seeing that they were so one in unity that even their possessions, even the things that they had, that no one even claimed them as their own. It wasn't, this is my house, and this is my job, and this is my money, and this is my car, and this is my thing, or whatever it is. And we're saying, whatever it is that you need, because we are so one in the body of Christ, if you need it, what's mine is yours. And it wasn't just an empty platitude to the point that they say there were no needy persons among them. Oh, friends, this gets me fired up. The idea that there's the possibility to be so unified in the body of Christ that needs could be eradicated because we are so desiring to be one, to be one in heart and one in mind to eradicate the need of those around us and people around them. And this is why the early church movement caught on like fire. It wasn't because they had social media posts and shiny new things and they had a polished experience and worship thing that they could go to and oh, wow, this is amazing and this Kids ministry is awesome. They didn't have any of those things and getting served coffee and all the things that we require now in our churches. It was just by the love that they had for each other. And people saw that and went so against culture and everything that they knew that it got their attention and said, man, there is something different about that Jesus movement. There's something different about the way that they're living their life. And it became very appealing. And that's how it grew and spread so rapidly. I don't know if you've ever heard the saying before. Maybe you've heard this. It says, people don't care what you know until they know how much you care. You know why people say that? Because it's true. People don't care what it is that you know. They don't want to hear the message of Jesus until they know that you care for them. Matter of fact, what was it that got you to convert and give your life to Jesus? Was it someone that delivered just an incredible orientation of just being like all the history and the theology of Jesus? No, it's you found out that there was a God who loved you and who cared for you. And when you understood that he cared for you, then you wanted to receive that message and you wanted to be a part of the family of God. And the same thing is true for people who are now on the outside looking in. They want to know that someone cares about them. They want to know that someone has their back. And that's why we started Treeline. We didn't want to come in and be like, look what all these other churches are doing wrong and we can do this better. Friends, did you know that only 4% of the population of the Pittsburgh region is reached for Christ right now? 4%. I'm not really great at math, but that means 96% of the people in our region have yet to experience and encounter relationship with Jesus. That's kind of a big deal. We've got to do something about that. But people won't care what it is that we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life until they know that we care for them. And this only happens when there is unity in the body of Christ. 
See, unity is just something so much more than just an empty platitude and something that we could put on our banner. Look at us. We're unified. See, friends, the world depends on us being unified and bringing the message of Jesus Christ. But see, it's not just being known for what we're against. Because I have a feeling if you ask a lot of people who are following Jesus, if you were to say, what are those Christians all about? What are those people who go to church every Sunday? What are they about? They would probably start listing all of the things that we're against and the things that we don't believe in. And don't get me wrong. There are times where we have to make a strong stand against something that is not scriptural, that is against the way that God wants us to live. But friends, that should not be what we are ultimately known for. We should be known for our love for one another. It should be our calling card. It should be our banner. It should be the unity. See, the world is sick of hearing about the love of Jesus. They truly want to see it. They want to see it in action. And this couldn't be any more true than with the upcoming generations. Generation Z, first post-Christian generation in our nation's history, is not looking to have someone win an argument, to tell them where they're wrong and how they're living a terrible life and how their political decisions are wrong and what they believe is wrong and all the things and the goals that they're trying to do are terrible. They need someone who's going to love them and care about them and love them with the love of Christ. Even, friends, catch it, if it costs us something. There's a world that's dependent on us loving them with the love of Christ. Friends, we don't have time for tribes. We don't have time for arguments and flame wars on Facebook and Twitter. We don't, we don't have time for it because our mission is far too important and time is way too short. We have to understand that as Christ followers, Jesus is our common bond, that we have unity around the person and the message of Jesus Christ, that he came to give his life, pay the price for our sins, that he gave his life as a ransom and paid so we could come and have a relationship with the Father, and that he loves us like nothing other to the point of death on the cross, but he didn't stay there, that he was buried on the third day, he rose again, defeating death and the grave and the enemy for all eternity, making a way for us to have relationship and restoration with God. That is the message that we have unity around. That is the thing that should bring us together. Friends, that we're not divided by our political beliefs and our political fractions. And yes, you believe those. Have strong beliefs. Fight for the things and vote for the things that you believe in. But at the end of the day, that should not what be defines us as the body of Christ. We should be unified around the message of who Jesus is and the message that he has for the world that he loves us. That he came for us, that he wants relationship with us. Friends, at the end of the day, that should trump everything else. That we are followers of Jesus. As we go back and we think about that prayer of Jesus that I shared with you at the beginning and the prayer that Jesus had and he, and he prayed and he said, God, if nothing else, these people who are following after me, let, let them be such of one mind and one spirit. Let them be so unified together that people will see them and know that this message and this mission that I'm living out is true. Friends, what would it look like if we could be the answer to Jesus' prayer? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you 
Lord, I know this might be a challenging message, but God, it's so important. And Lord, it's even worth sitting in the uncomfortable moments because Lord, unity is so important. God, that if nothing else, if we don't get anything else from this series, I pray this indivisible word that we would know, God, that you have called us to unity as your body. And God, the diversity that you have given us, the different thoughts that you have given us, the different styles you've given us, God, that we can find beauty in that diversity and that stylistic diversity. And God, even in the midst of a polarized, political, divided year, Lord, that no matter what we think politically, no matter how we vote when we go to those polls, God, that first and foremost, that we would recognize that we are your followers, God, before anything else. Jesus, that everything that this world has to offer, all the earthly kingdoms that are here, God, they will all fade in comparison to your kingdom, to heaven, to your glory. So Jesus, I pray that you would help us to live with unity. God, I pray that you would help us to look for ways to be unified and to think the best and to err on the side of believing the best instead of thinking the worst and assuming the worst in other Christ followers. God, I thank you that you've called us to be unified. I thank you for that strength that comes, the beautiful strength that comes as we're unified even as we are diverse people. Lord, to reach people who are far from you, to spread the message. God, just like we received that hope and changed our life, God, there is a world waiting to hear and experience and encounter your love. Jesus, let us be an answer to what it was that you prayed for all those years ago, that we would be unified of one mind, of one heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, thank you so much for joining us this week. I'm so excited. Can you tell I'm a little bit passionate about this series? Like, man, Brian, you're getting a little fired up there. You've got it. Man, don't miss next week. I'm so excited. If you missed the first two weeks, either one of them, I really encourage you. Go back, take a listen, watch them, however you want to listen, podcast, Facebook, YouTube. You've got options. You can get out there and listen to it. But don't miss next week. Thank you guys so much for joining us, and we'll catch you again really soon. Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at treeline.church or on social media. Our mission is to see family trees changed by a lifelong relationship with Jesus. We hope you can listen or join us next week.